Welcome everybody to another session of the new game of leadership. My name is Irina Dimitrova. I'm the organizer of, uh, of this summit. And I have the, the great pleasure to have uh, David Savoy today with the topic Beyond the Leadership Trends, Trust is an Invariant of Leadership. David, I don't know that much about you. So I'm curious to hear from yourself uh, what you have to say about uh, your persona. What, what stuck in my mind was the sentence, I help design companies um, design governance and learning solutions for organizations to make sense of an old age stumbling block to human factor. Yeah. <laughs> so this really grabbed me and I'm, you know, take it away. I'm leaving it all to you. All right. Thank you, Zorina, for uh, the invitation. And um, I'm very glad to be here today. So for those who don't know me, my name is uh, David Savoie. I work as a consultant and trainer in, uh, and I have two fields of um, expertise. The, the first one is uh, learning and development. Uh, I have a background in science of education. And uh, the second one is uh, all the, the, the topics and subtopics related to um, change management and leadership. Um, I also work with uh, executives and managers. And um, the, the, the talk I'm, going, I'm about to give is, the, um, as I told you, Zarina, it's, it's the continuation of uh, a research I conducted between uh, 2016 and 19 about uh, what we call the invariance of, uh, of management and leadership. So here we go. Um, maybe a brief disclaimer before I start. Um, I'm starting with the bad news. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, here is a list of things uh, you, you won't find in this talk. So I'm not going to give you any, any recipe. You won't find the, the three uh, secrets or the five truths or the, the 12 rules you might be looking for. Uh, there is no magical solution or what I call uh, fairy tale theories in this talk. I know it sounds a bit, uh, it might sound a bit polemic, but we'll see. So um, I don't believe these, these uh, theories exist and uh, I'm gonna try to, to argue that point. Uh, so here is instead what you're going to find in this talk. I'm going to talk about leadership as made of um, what we call invariance. Uh, that's the old game. And uh, contrary to what is uh, suggested by, by the title of this, uh, this uh, summit, uh, I, I don't really believe uh, leadership is a, is a new game. Uh, I think it's based on age-old principle, and we're going to explore that, that idea together. Um, Another thing I'm going to do is um, I will try to, to mobilize, as you will see, um, uh, multidisciplinary knowledge. Um, I believe there are gems in different disciplines and uh, I, there is something I really like to do is I like to steal ideas from uh, different uh, uh, theoretical fields. So don't be surprised. And last but not least, there, I can make you a promise uh, I promise you that at the end of this talk, you will have more uh, answers than, than questions. And uh, no, sorry, more questions than answers. And uh, hopefully that's a good thing. So let's go. Um, the invariance of leadership. Um, In Search of Excellence, that's a, a book published by uh, Peters and Waterman, two former um, uh, consultants of McKinsey in 1983. The book was a massive success. It was a, a, a study of the best practices of the 43 most uh, successful companies at the time. They sold 5 million, million copies of the book. 
And it was so successful that uh, executives around the world urged their managers to buy the books and to apply the, the recipes. So here is the interesting part. Five years later, they made another study on the, on the results of the book. And here is what they found out. One third of the, the companies mentioned in the book uh, were, not long, were no, uh, no longer rated as excellent. And uh, some of them were even experiencing uh, serious financial difficulties. So what, what does this bring to light? Um, one thing, in my opinion, there is a, uh, let's call it a psychological phenomena. It's probably also uh, biological and existential to some point. But uh, uh, yeah, a phenomena deeply embedded in our nature which is the need to, to, to create guidelines in order to reassure ourselves in, a, in an often you know, confusing world and a complex reality. So I don't wanna to sound too, um, uh, too theoretical here, but here is a, here is a quick story. Uh, that's the story of a, of a unit of soldiers who got lost in the, in the Alps. I believe it was in the, during the second world war. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so anyway, they got lost in the Alps and everybody thought that uh, they were dead. But after three days, they reappeared and they, they came back alive to, to camp. So obviously there was a debriefing and um, uh, they tried to find out you know, uh, how they had managed to, to survive. And, and one of the reasons was one of the soldiers carried a map. Uh, the only thing is, uh, after um, uh, examination, the, the, the map was not the, the, it was the wrong map, it was the map from another area. So how did it save them? Because it, it did save them. It's a, it's a true story. So how did it save them? For three reasons. Uh, the first one, it, it gave them a direction. The second one, it helped them to, to make sense of their surrounding, of their uh, environment. And um, uh, lastly, it provided some kind of, uh, of a guideline, you know, to, to, to help them come back home. So what, what does that mean? Um, we, we humans are, are complex creatures and uh, under a, a surface of uh, uh, logic and rationality, I believe we are, we are deeply, uh, well, I, I'm not the only one. To believe that but we are deeply uh, chaotic and complex and uh, irrational and um, we evolve in a, in a often even more complex world so we need ways to to make sense of it and we don't we don't really have a choice because the alternative would be a uh, chaos and uh, and uh, that you know that's no real uh, that's no real alternative so we need to to create those tools those, those rules those sets of uh, of guidelines in order to to um, uh, structure, yeah, yeah, let's put it that way, to structure our, our uh, relationship to the, to the world. And uh, as NLP East would say, I'm, I'm not a big fan of NLP, by the way, but um, I love their sayings, uh, the map is not the territory, and uh, I agree with that, uh, that statement. So at this point, we're, we're going to, to try to let go of um, a very sticking idea, <laughs> which is, the, the belief in fairy tale theories. Um, what's what's uh, a fairy tale theory? It's the, the, the belief in or the search or the hope in the magical trick that will solve all our problems and um, and save us at the same time. So, but that's that's pure uh, fantasy. So now, 
uh, let's go back to leadership. The, the first um, manuals of leadership are from the, the end of the 18th century, so they're about 150 years old. So for more than 150 years old, we've seen a, a variety of doctrines of, uh, of, of uh, managerial and uh, leadership theories. And all of those theories offer a solution on the plate to the question of management of, ma management of men and, uh, and women. So for more than 150 years, each doctrine has at its time uh, its share of success and failures and while waiting to be replaced by the next. And I'll give you some examples. We, we've, we've seen, uh, of course, Taylor, terrorism, Toyotism, particip participative management, lean management, management, agile management, and more recently, uh, armocracy, holacracy, and so on. So those are, are typical examples of these um, uh, leadership and management doctrines. Now, there is a, a very interesting book I recommend you to, 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 to read. It's a storytelling from Christian Salman. So it's a, it's a highly polemical book, but it's a great one. Um, so what does uh, Mr. Salman tell us? Three things. He talks about the, the life cycle of leadership theories. So according to him, they went from 15 years in the 50s, 70s to 2.5 years in the 90s. They're probably even shorter today, you know, uh, in 2021. Um, another thing, those theories would be created by management gurus and consulting firms who identify the collective expectation of an audience of management consumers. So instead of being a, a real solution to a real problem, they would be um, uh, uh, created to meet the, the expectation of an audience. And a last thing, they're designed as a response to the desire of consumption of a public in search of truth and benchmarks. Um, now let's look, let's take a quick look at the at today's trends. So here are the trends on, on Google. If you Google leadership, you get 140 million hits. Um, if you try Googling management, it's even better. And uh, last but not least, and just for the sake of it, if you Google love, <laughs> even better. Yeah, but love will always be number one. So <laughs> there is no discussion. <laughs> so now let's look at the trends on, um, on Amazon. I, uh, I search um, leadership on Amazon and here is the list. That's only the first page, by the way. So we've got value creating leadership, entrepreneurial leadership, conscious leadership, regenerative leadership, spiritual intelligence leadership, that's pretty interesting, uh, social intelligence leadership, that's, that's probably from um, uh, Daniel Goldman's work. Uh, the I love the next one, the, 20, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. So if you're looking for um, truths and guidelines, go by this one. Uh, we've got virtuous leadership, the U theory leadership, uh, that's from uh, Otto Schalmer, uh, the Tower of Leadership, and Primal Leadership, releasing the power of emotional intelligence. Oh, no, that's the one from, uh, from Daniel Coleman. Okay. Um, so the list goes on, of, of, obviously, and uh, all these books will give you rules, tricks, and guidelines for leadership. 
but they, they will also be outdated in a, in a few months and at best in a few, in a few years. So now the, the big question, where do we go from here? Um, my aim is to, to, yeah, to discuss and to, to bring light, um, to, to bring to light the limits of, uh, of trends and to go a little deeper than that. So what's, what's deeper? If you go deeper, you will find what we call the, the invariance, the, the underlying uh, fundamental principles, uh, which are transversal and who, who passed the, the, the generations, as we will see. So maybe here is a, a quick um, uh, uh, difference, um, yeah, between trends and, uh, and invariance. So if you look at trends, they have a limited lifespan they're driven by an underlying ideology, set of values. They're created as a response to collective expectations. Uh, they're often marketed as a set of solutions and they're arguably uh, highly replaceable. Uh, on the other hand, if we look at invariance, they stood the test of time. Uh, they're they're uh, old as humanity. They are applicable in every economical, political, and social context. So they, they, they are transversal. Um, they are part of our deep behavioral mechanism and human nature, as we will see. And no matter how hard you try, you, you can't get rid of them because they define us. Okay. Um, so now, the, the, of course, the, the, the big question, what are these invariants? So, a quick uh, disclaimer here. I'm for once. I'm going to give you a list, <laughs> but it's a it's a highly um, uh, um, subjective list. It's it's a, it's my list, you know, and we we can we can discuss it. So don't uh, don't hesitate to to disagree with that list. Um, another another thing is, as you will see, it's a, it's a metaphoric list. So don't be surprised by the the terminology. And uh, I'm only going to give you an overview here. We won't have time to, to go into details uh, in every invariant. So it's just going to be an overview. But we will take time to explore more the, the last one, which is, uh, which is trust. All right. So number one, um, the, the first invariant would be culture as the matrix of possibilities. Um, so the idea here is that culture determines us and shapes the what we call the, the behavioral landscape, uh, depend, depending of the, uh, the color of the culture, you will have a, cult, a culture of, or of uh, trust or distrust, of cooperation or competition, of um, uh, care of, uh, or performance and so on, okay? So that's, that's the basic idea. And the, the, the key for leadership here is to, to shape the, the, the culture that will allow trust to, to exist and to emerge. All right, second invariant. That's the, uh, what I call the, the iceberg metaphor, understanding the informal dimension of the organization uh, that means uh, having the courage, because it, it takes real courage to do that, to, to dive under the surface and to, uh, to face the sharks. <laughs> so what's, what are the sharks? The, the sharks are the um, um, informal reality 
we can uh, we can see in the field and what I call the, the the color of the interaction, the way the ways people interact uh, together and uh, the 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 ways they behave. Um, so, and as I said, it, it takes real, real courage to go there because uh, it's not easy for uh, for um, uh, for leadership to to take a, a hard look at what's really going on under the surface, uh, and uh, it's an invitation to 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 leave um, Wonderland or to leave the the the, the ivory tower, tower we've built to to you know take a real interest on what's going on in the field. All right, um, number three. The hero's journey metaphor, deep human stories and the power of fiction. So I'm not going to explain, uh, explain this one too much now because we will go uh, more into details later on this, uh, this talk. So I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Um, number four, that's the conspiracy metaphor, understanding player strategies and power dynamics. Um, if you're interested on that, uh, on that subject, I, I, hi I highly recommend you to, to read the work of um, uh, Michel Crozier and Erhard Friedberg, the, the two founders of the sociology of um, organization theories. That's just brilliant work, and you, you'll find all the, the, the answers you might be looking for regarding uh, power dynamics. So number five, the Conatus metaphor channeling the individual desires towards a common goal. So the Conatus is a concept I stole from um, Spinoza, the philosopher. It's a brilliant concept. So um, Spinoza de defines it at the innate, as the innate inclination of a being to continue to exist and improve itself. The innate inclination of a being to continue to exist and improve itself. So what does that mean? Uh, every living being, plants, animals, humans, are driven by a dynamic of what we call a dynamic of expansion. Uh, that means uh, growth, expanding one's uh, territory, uh, or just self-development, economical, uh, psychological, uh, personal development, spiritual development. So uh, uh, in order to improve one's uh, situation. So that's, by the way, that's the, the uh, a real gem here. Uh, it's the, 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 the fundamentals of every types of uh, motivational theories. So the, the, the desire to improve one's situation. Uh, the, the core um, mechanism here for leadership is the, the, to, to, um, to channel this desire for, uh, for improvement uh, towards a common goal. And that's what every corporate culture uh, should be doing. Okay. Now, last but not least, uh, the double-edged sword metaphor trust as an invariant of individual and collective performance. And this is the, 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 the one we're gonna explore. Uh, we, I'm gonna go more into, into details here. So let's explore trust together. Um, okay, maybe something a little basic to, to start. That's the, the biological angle of trust. So um, this is quite well documented. 
trust is biochemically stimulated by uh, oxytocin. The, the, some call it the hormone of love or the hormone of trust, uh, the hormone of uh, social attachment and uh, affiliation. And uh, we find it in every evolved mammals as well as in humans. So th th there's countless studies about the, the positive impact of uh, oxytocin on uh, comportmental development and on social behavior. Um, this is so, so important because if you, if you deprive children, uh, they did, they did the, the experiment on, in uh, Romania under Chauche School and in the US in the 40s, uh, they were called closet children. It's a, it's a horrible story. Uh, so if you de deprive children from affection, uh, emotional and physical affection, the, 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 the damages on the brain are considered irreversible. And those children will develop uh, uh, profound and incurable uh, antisocial behavior. So that's, that's how far it goes, the power of uh, oxytocin. So now, uh, what about trust in, uh, in groups? Um, if, we look, if we look at it from the, the um, ethological perspective, here's what we find. Um, in, in animal groups or if, let's, let's uh, say uh, evolved mammal groups, things are quite simple. Uh, the, the, group, the, the size of the group is quite small. Uh, a chimp community uh, has between 40 uh, and 100 members. Um, so it's quite small and all the, 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 um, the individuals have grown up together and they know each other. So there is no big surprise here. And I know there are um, rivalries and, and things like that, but it's, everybody knows everybody. Uh, another thing is that in, in animal communities, the, the, the boundaries are very clear. Um, you have the, on one hand, you have the, the, um, the members of your community that you know and you trust. And on the other hand, all the others are considered as, uh, as potential enemies. So the, the boundaries are very, very clear. So now what about trust in human communities? We have, um, well, it's, it's a bit more complicated. Uh, first of all, the, we have the problem of the, um, the size of the group. Uh, as I said, uh, teams groups have between 40 and 100 members, and, uh, but we live in, in cities of uh, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of, uh, of people, and uh, we, we don't know each other. We don't know each other. We haven't grown up together. Uh, you, you, you don't know your neighbors. Well, maybe you do a little bit, but uh, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, you, you haven't chosen your, um, your colleagues. You haven't chosen your boss. So uh, under a surface of uh, politeness and uh, socialization, we, we are basically living among strangers. So that's, that's one problem. And the, the second problem is that with, um, with humans, as I said earlier, you know, we, we're pretty chaotic and um, nothing is really clear with humans. Uh, there's a lot of co confusion going on. We have a lot of doubts. Uh, we don't know ourselves. We think we do, but in reality, we don't. Okay, maybe you've read a few uh, self-development books, but you know that that doesn't do it. <laughs> Sorry. So you don't know yourself, and um, we change our minds all the time, and that, that that makes it very difficult to to be able to really trust each other. It's it adds to the the, the confusion. Okay, so. Um, 
Now the question is, how do we build trust in that context? I'm going to give you an answer. That's not uh, an exhaustive answer, but it's okay. One answer. So we we create trust through the power of fiction. What does that mean? Uh, we create narratives. We we create uh, uh, stories to to uh, to bind us. And um, I'm going to give you a few examples. So. We are uh, we are what I call uh, narrative um, nar narrative creatures. We grew up with fairy tales. We like to watch movies. Um, we tell ourselves stories all the time. You know, stories about who we are, uh, stories about who the others are, uh, stories about our plans, our goals, our futures, um, and uh, we, we project our frame of references on the others and on the world all the time which is, by the way, the, the root of all frustrations and uh, disillusions, but that's another topic. <laughs> so let me give you a, um, another example. There is a very interesting story. It's the story of uh, Fidas. So Fidas was the, the, the goddess of trust under the, the, the Roman Empire. Uh, she was the, 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 god of, the goddess of trust, of faith, she was the mother. She was the, the, the goddess of integrity in uh, international and commercial uh, transactions. So now, imagine a world where uh, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands uh, of uh, barbarian tribes had to be conquered. Well, that's from the Roman perspective. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the barbarians had another uh, idea, but okay. They had to be uh, pacified and conquered. So how did they do that? Every conquered tribe had to pledge alliance to Fides, to the goddess of trust. And um, uh, in return, they, they were provided so-called protection by the, by the Romans. So this is just a, a brilliant idea because um, conflict was replaced by mutual trust. And that's how, uh, well, basically through a magic trick, uh, through a fiction. And that's how Fides, the, 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 the fiction of Fides, served the expansion of the, the Roman Empire. So now, what about trust in our modern society? Um, we don't have Fides anymore, but it's exactly the same principle. We make up collective stories, collective narratives, um, collective um, ideologies, uh, to, to create a sense of uh, community and belonging. And uh, here are some of our um, modern um, uh, myths or fictions. Uh, democracy, free will, liberty, autonomy. Th those are, are fictions that are contradicted by almost every uh, psychological and biolog biological evidence, but still we believe in them. We could add uh, uh, feminism and um, and uh, collapsology to the to the mix. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't want to be too polemic, but yeah, those are fiction, and we believe in them. And but in return, we are accepted by the group, and um, yeah, we we, we get a, a sense of uh, of a community of belonging. So that's the power of fiction. Um, but it goes deeper than that. Now, I'm going to make a, a bold statement, and feel free to disagree. Uh, I'm going to try to prove my point. So the bold statement is the following. Trust 
is so present in our lives that we don't see it anymore. We're literally blinded by trust. Trust is so present in, in our lives, we don't see it anymore. Um, so I know that there are ratings, uh, international ratings of the, the level of trust regarding the, the different um, uh, countries and governments. Uh, France is very low on the scale, by the way. <laughs> to, to the French audience, I love you guys, no problem, but you know you're very low on the scale. So uh, there, there, are, there are ratings, but even, even in these countries, um, I believe that trust is implicit and we don't see it. So I'm, I'm gonna, okay, let's do, let's do a little um, exercise here. It, try to imagine a society based on the opposite of trust, on distrust. So what would happen? Um, you wouldn't buy, you wouldn't dare to buy groceries because you know the, the food might be, uh, might be uh, poisoned. Uh, you wouldn't leave your, your children at school because who knows what might, uh, might, what might happen. Um, you would have no friends. You wouldn't trust anyone. You wouldn't dare to, to go out and cross the streets because a, a car might uh, intentionally drive you over or run you over. So, it, you know, life would be hell and, and un, unsustainable. It would be just hell and uh, complete paranoia. Uh, uh, so now we're going, we're going to go uh, back to, to leadership because it, it works exactly the same way. Trust is implicit. So um, we just saw that trust is not really a choice uh, because you know, this trust is no viable alternative. So, um, but, but there are two sides of the coin of trust. So we, we, we all know about the positive, we usually all know about the positive uh, side of, uh, of trust for, for management and leadership. The, the, there's a whole range of uh, uh, literature about the, the, the subject, but this is a, a two-sided two coin. So now let's explore the first one. The, the, let's call it the, the bright side of trust. Um, so one basic principle first. And uh, I suppose everybody agrees on that. The, the higher the trust and the more it's systematically reinforced, the more the group can rise and perform. One more time, the higher the trust and the more it's systematically reinforced, the more the group can rise and perform. Yeah, I guess everybody agrees on that. That's, that's kind of basic. But now I'll give you some, uh, some uh, example of the, the, again, the, the bright side, the positive side of trust. So all the great collective achievements um, like you know, social, political, scientific, architectural, we, we've got the, the Great Wall of China here, uh, uh, were made with trust, with some kind of, uh, of trust. We've got the, 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 the good side of the technological revolution, um, all the great discoveries in the fields of um, medicine and pharmacology, um, some uh, some diseases like variola was were uh, eradicated by vaccine. Uh, so I know it's a bit of a polemic, but uh, still that's the positive side. In the middle, it's the it's a picture of a child being saved by uh, by a prosthetic aorta by uh, René Prêtre, if you know him. So and on the right, of course, the 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 you know the team the team achievements the, that's the Lakers uh, 2020 NBA champions. Okay, so that's 
quite well-known things, the, the posit positive side of trust. Now, let's explore the, the other side of the coin. Um, there is a, a deep and, um, uh, well, honestly, quite disturbing uh, inclination to, in humans to, to blindly follow orders. So here is the other side of the coin. Under Nazi Germany, only 2% of the population were uh, resistant. All the others, you know, they, they just follow orders with uh, various uh, degrees of participation. So only 2% of resistance. On the right, it's the, the Khmer Rouge uh, revolution. So 1.7 million victims between um, 1975 and 1979. So uh, Duke, who was one of the, the, the political leaders at his trial, he was asked, you know, why, why did you do that? Duke, by the way, he was responsive. He was solely responsible to the uh, to the um, to the death of uh, fifteen thousand people, just by himself. So he was asked why why he, why he did it, and he had a, a great, very honest, uh, very um, honest answers. He said, "I wanted my boss to trust me, and to be promoted like everybody else." That that's a that's a, that's a great answer. Um, on the left, the lower left corner, that's the Milgram experiment. So it's a, it's a pretty well-known um, uh, experiment, uh, the obedience to authority experiment, 1961. So uh, in short, uh, it was a, a series of experiments uh, conducted at Yale University by Stanley Milgram, uh, where the, the participants were, were ordered to administer electric shocks to um, to subjects, and the subjects were actors. Uh, there was no real electric shock involved, but the, the participants didn't know it. So what what happened? Sixty five percent of the participants went beyond the lethal limit. Sixty five percent. Okay, so you might think that that was in the sixties, long time ago. You know, now that was sixty years ago. So things would be uh, different now. Uh, we're more uh, civilized and uh, educated, and you know we 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 would be um, more willing to resist. So guess what? <laughs> they they redid the experiment in 2010. That's the the lower right uh, picture. Uh, Le jeu de la mort, the game of death. That's not the 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 Bruce Lee movie, by the way. <laughs> that's the, that's the, another version of the the Milgram experiment. So um, the the um, it, it it was the same the same version under uh, guise of a reality show, and with the additional pressure of uh, um, public uh, conformity. So what were the what was the result? Uh, this time, eighty percent of the participants went beyond the little limit. Eighty percent. So. This is the this is basically our, uh, the dark side of our um, human nature, and if you if you believe that that's a, that's another another thing. If you believe that you're the exception and you you would be part of the resistance, um, you're fooling yourself. Statistically, I mean, you there is a, a great a greater chance you would be amongst the the oppressors, and and me too. You know, I'm no exception. So, okay. Now. This is a quote by Stanley Milgram, and uh, I'm not going to read it, so I just let you read it. 
All right, so, so now uh, a good question. Why, why does this happen? And um, what does it tell us about the, 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 the dark side of trust? So there are several factors to explain, uh, that, to explain this. Um, there is a, a psychological factor. We are really poorly armed to defy authority and contest the, the community that feeds us. That's the first thing. Uh, to resist requires an almost supernatural energy because it means fighting our nature, it means fighting our culture, and it means uh, fighting our reference group. So resisting doesn't come easy. And uh, the, 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 that's, that's very interesting. Uh, from a, a develop, developmental um, psychology perspective, there is an explanation to the, the, the fact that some people, the two persons, uh, have this capacity to resist. Uh, if the first no of our childhood uh, had been uh, welcomed, uh, we would be potentially more uh, uh, able to resist. So the, the, this hypothesis is very interesting. Uh, the, the hypothesis would, would be that the quality of attention uh, given to the child and the capacity to listen to your child plays a key role for developing the, the, this ability to, to resist. All right, so now let's go back to, let's leave the, the dark side and uh, go back to, the, um, to our subject. Let's go back to leadership. There are two quotes I, I really like about uh, uh, about uh, related to trust and related to some of the concepts uh, I mentioned earlier. The first quote is from Machiavelli. To govern is to make uh, is to um, I'm sorry I don't I don't I don't see the okay is to lead people to believe. All right, to govern is to lead people to believe. So this is a great quote um, on a uh, on a positive way. That could be an, an invitation for leadership to be a source of uh, inspiration. Uh, it could be an invitation for um, having an inspiring vision to be able to share it, and etc. Okay, that's the, the positive interpretation. Now, on the other hand, it, it could also mean uh, to be able to play with the natural inclination of people for trust and make them think and act accordingly to our plans. So that's, I know it sounds a bit um, Machiavellical, but th that's from Machiavelli. So, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> so it sounds Machiavellical, but it's, it's basically what every corporate culture does. Uh, that's the, the principle I, I mentioned earlier, the, the um, Conatus principle. So they, they capture the individual desires and channel them towards a, a common goal. And, and again, there is not one single, single company that doesn't do it. So um, I know we, we're not in uh, fairy tales uh, territory anymore, but uh, neither is the, the corporate world. So that's the reality. Now, another quote I really like this time from um, Aristotle. To govern is to disappoint. This is a great quote um, because we humans are creatures of, uh, of desire and it's just impossible for leadership to meet all the expect expectations. That's an invitation to give up on uh, another sticking ID. That's the, 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 the um, impossible desire to, to, to make everyone happy. And uh, no matter what the leadership does, there will be always some boost of motivation, some feelings of uh, disappointment, 
and therefore there will be breaches, what we call breaches of trust. Um, now, here is what, what's at stake for leadership. Here is a little, uh, okay, little uh, to-do list. So to mobilize trust, to be trustworthy, to be credible, and to make people believe in the vision, the strategy, the goal, the culture, etc. Okay, that's Machiavel's idea. Um, now, here, here are three traps for leadership regarding trust, and they're often uh, often forgotten. I've never seen those uh, those uh, those traps mentioned in any uh, uh, you know a, a corporate. Uh, 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 um, values or anything like that. So that's that's a real uh, uh, blind spot. So number one is breach of trust. Um, there is a paradox here. Uh, no, there is no, as we saw, there is no collective performance without trust. So in, in some sense, some way, it's it's indispensable, but it's also very fragile. Uh, trust breaks at the first sign of deception of or uh, treason. And we, we, we all have experienced uh, breaches of trust, either by uh, being deceived or um, by deceiving others, or sometimes even by, you know, deceiving ourselves. So this is a, a pretty uh, common one. Um, there is a quote I love from uh, Jean-Paul Jean Sartre regarding uh, breaches of trust. Uh, trust is gained in drops and lost in liters. Trust is gained in drops and lost in letters. Great quote. So let's go to number two. Um, the number two is blind trust. So this is this is a, a typical image of um, corporate propaganda. I really hate it, but it's it's a uh, it's very significative of the the this this um, this uh, principle of blind trust. So blind trust falls in the same category as uh, blind faith. Uh, it's based on the mechanism I mentioned before, so uh, the human inclination to blindly follow orders and the supernatural strengths that uh, resisting requires. Um, okay, blind trust. Number three. Uh, interestingly enough, in French, we only have one word for trust, uh, which also means confidence. That's confiance. Avoir confiance means uh, trusting others and uh, being self-confident. So... No, the, 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 the third trap would be the excess of trust, uh, the excess of confidence. And um, I'm going to give you two, um, two examples. On the right, it's the grounding of, uh, of, um, of Swissair. So Swissair was the, the Swiss national airline company. Um, it, was, it was a national pride and almost a, a, a national uh, uh, emblem for unity. Um, so after a series of bad business decisions, uh, the Swissair got into serious uh, financial difficulties. Um, so the, the, in 2001, they benefited from the, from the help of the Swiss government and from the Swiss banks. Uh, and at this time, nobody thought that it could ever be uh, get uh, go bankrupt. Nobody. It was just impossible. It was such a, a, a national a national institution. Uh, so guess what? On uh, the second October of two thousand and one, the company could uh, couldn't longer pay its bill, and uh, 
all the flights got suspended. And as a result, 39,000 passengers were grounded. So that's a great example of uh, excess of confidence. We went from, uh, oh, this, this company will never go bankrupt. It's just uh, impossible. It's a national uh, uh, pride to uh, 39,000 passengers uh, grounded in a very short time. Um, the other example I'm gonna give you, that's a more recent one. It's the, the, the Reddit attack on Wall Street. And that's also a great example of uh, uh, excess of confidence. So what, what basically happened here is uh, the, the Wall Street bets was a, a, a forum on, the, on, on Reddit, the website where amateur traders uh, coordinated a, a massive buying strategy on GME stocks, GameStop, uh, GameStop shop stocks. Uh, and as a result, the, the several hedge funds uh, went bankrupt. They lost hundreds of millions. So, so far so good. That was the first part of the, the, the attack. It was a massive success. Uh, David had beaten Goliath. Everybody was uh, surfing a wave of uh, enthusiasm, and um, they planned the they planned the, the the second part of the of the attack, which was going after AMC stock, the, the another company. Uh, yeah, but this time the hedge funds were ready, and um, they 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 managed to block the main uh, trading platform that the retail, uh, the retail traders used. Uh, Robinhood was blocked for, for I think uh, one day or two. And as a result, uh, uh, thousands of people lost all their money and uh, the, the, the hedge funds got uh, a lot richer. So that's another example. They went from, we beat Goliath and um, you know we're gonna go after AMC stocks to we lost all our money, excess of confidence. There is another example, but uh, I, I'm just—I'm uh, only going to mention it. If you have the the chance, go watch uh, Fire Festival, the the greatest party that that never happened. That's a documentary on Netflix. It's a great uh, uh, story about uh, a young entrepreneur who wants to to organize the the, the greatest uh, VIP festival of all time on on the island of Pablo Escobar, and the the, the whole um, journey is a, is a disaster. Uh, at the end, you know, the, the festival becomes a, a huge, uh, huge scam. And uh, what's really fascinating is this guy during, during the whole story, he keeps saying, we're going to make it. We're going to make million. Um, it's going to be okay. And until right before his trials, he's going to, he, he's going to go to trial and he says, no, I'm never going to go to jail and I'm going to make millions. And guess what? He went to jail and he had to pay 26 millions, uh, US uh, as a fine. So excess of trust. Now, I'm almost uh, almost done. Here is a, a little leadership checklist regarding trust. So leadership should aim to inspire trust, be reliable and credible, to create, develop, and manage trust, to assess the areas of uncertainty to reduce doubt and anxiety, to identify the excesses of confidence, and to anticipate the risk of abuse. Now, at the beginning, at the beginning of this talk, I made, a, I made you a promise. I said that you would end up with more uh, questions than answers. So here are the, the, the questions. And this is a, a, a trust health check. 
question everybody should ask uh, himself in order to, yeah, to see how it goes regarding trust. So number, number one, is my leadership credible and trustworthy? A little, a lot. Do my partners, my clients, my employees feel in good hands with me? And how can I assess it? That's not uh, an exhaustive list of questions, uh, by the way. So number two, is my service, my team, my company credible? What could we do to be even more credible? Number three, am I determined to create an explicit culture of trust? What time and resources do I spend on creating and developing trust and, enga and engagement? Do I regularly check the barometer of trust? And lastly, how do I anticipate the risk of breach of trust, blind trust, and excess of confidence? So that's it. Uh, thank you very much. I, um, I finished with, uh, with questions, so maybe you, you might have some questions for me and uh, I'll be uh, happy to discuss any of the, the um, polemical topics I brought up with, with you now. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much.